On today's episode of the Serve Scale Sword podcast, we are talking about one of my favorite topics that is not talked about enough. And I love shedding more light on understanding and creating our futures. And that's all about money and more specifically on wealth creation. So let's jump on in. Welcome to the Serve, Scale, Soar podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping service-based entrepreneurs scale their online business to five-figure months so they can soar into six-figure years. Your host, Brandy, is a wife, mom, and in less than one year, created a six-figure business. And now she is spilling all her secrets so you can too. Hello, Serve Scale Store family. Oh my goodness. I am so excited because I didn't tell Mel this before we got on, but we have a very special guest, Mel. He's a good friend of mine. And Mel, you are the first male that I've ever interviewed on the show. Hundreds of episodes now. First male that I've interviewed. You're the second male that's ever been on the podcast. And so I'm super excited that you get that title because I think what we're sharing today is absolutely amazing. So Mel, just tell my audience a little bit about who you are as a person and then uh, just about your business. Well, thank you, Brandy. And that's kind of, that's kind of a cool honor. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm Mel Abraham. I'm, you know, when I look at who I am as, as, as a person, first off, I'm, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a, I'm a new puppy dad. I'm a new granddad. And I consider myself a very uh, loyal friend to those that are in my inner circle. Uh, I, my word is, is my bond. Uh, if I give my word, I will, I will die trying to live into it. So that's a, a bit about me. I, you know, I, I kind of take that from my dad because my dad, my dad did things and he would do things to the detriment of himself at times. And when I would ask him, he said, because it was the right thing to do. And that's just kind of the way we live. I love that. And I know that when we first met, oh my gosh, it's been like almost two years now. And uh, you were talking about frameworks and I nerd out over frameworks. You really helped us rename um, and think about in Surf Scale Store, we have Scale with Simplicity. You helped rename that and just bigger picture. And then I just knew that you were great at frameworks, but then you are also amazing at talking about all things money and wealth, which I love to talk about as well. So I think that's what we're going to talk about more today. So how about tell my audience about your business and exactly what do you help people do? Oh, awesome. So I am a CPA by education. I didn't follow the traditional path of, of the CPA. They, they they did me in on the very first job that I went to one of the large accounting consulting firms in downtown Los Angeles. And the first job they put me on was to do the inventory of a company called Bandini. And it was August. It was 103 degrees out. And Bandini manufactures fertilizer. So there I was standing in three in 103 degrees in a three-piece suit in mounds of steaming manure and thought, this is what I went to school for. So that's when I kind of started looking at, at other things. I had a skill set and I wanted to serve. I knew that I wanted to work with entrepreneurs. I knew I wanted to help people make their, their dreams a reality. And at a large consulting firm, I spent you know five and a half years there. I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able to have the impact and the effect that I wanted. And so I went out on my own. I left and they told me I was going to totally botch up my my career and, and my life. And, and I said, great, at least I do it when I'm young enough to fix it. And uh, I'm still going. So 
I, I don't think I botched it up. And so my primary focus today or, or, or these days is really in this new season of my life is helping entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs and bricks and mortar entrepreneurs really figure out how do you deal with the intersection of business, money, and life and, and making sure that that through business, we end up with having the financial independence and freedom that we want and to have the impact that we want and to live not a wealthy lifestyle, but a richer lifestyle in experiences and feelings and, and the things that we do. And so that's really where I spend most of my time these days. I love it. I love it. The reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I think, especially now, maybe it's because I'm 31 now, or maybe it's just because of everything that happened with COVID. But when we met two years ago, I told you about my overwhelming amount of student loans, over $100,000 and a desire to buy a house. And, you know, being the only one, the sole provider in our household, like, this comes with, I didn't know what to do, how to navigate this. And we had this conversation that completely changed my life where we got together a plan. We paid off $100,000 in student loans. And then now we're in the process of building our dream home. And that all sparked from a conversation we had. And I think one of the things that many of my listeners, and I was in that place too, is we're living in the now and like, what is our business bringing in now? What is our circumstances now? And not living and thinking also like, what is now bring me later? And how can we use the now to fund the later? And so I would love for us just to have a conversation about how can we think of our business in a different perspective of not just like, okay, we have like this money coming in now, but we're not thinking about what happens in 10, 20, 30 years from now. And do we still want to be showing up on Facebook lives every day? Yeah, oh, this is such a, a great conversation to have and to have it early on. I mean, there's a couple kinds of entrepreneurs. There's those entrepreneurs that are what I would call serial entrepreneurs that are trying to build something, scale something, and sell something and get out and then do it again and again. And they're in it for a three to seven year turn type of a thing. But we're personal brands. We love what we do. We're going to spend a lot of time doing it. I, you know, I don't think that I'm ever going to retire unless I'm forced into retirement. But I just I'm going to keep going. However, we need to acknowledge the fact that, in all likelihood, we're building something that isn't necessarily sellable. So there isn't a windfall at the end of the day if we decide to get out. You know, we might have some stuff to sell, but we're not going to get. We're not going to get that big, big um, pot at the end of the rainbow. And so we need to create the pot at the end of the rainbow. And the way we do that is, is to start thinking about, like you said, the now and the future and, and say, okay, I want to run my business. And this business needs to take care of the lifestyle and, and, and the necessities and, and my living today to give me the experience today. But I also want to set myself up for my future. So when or if the time comes that you say, I'm done, I want to get out, or I can't work anymore, or, or what, whatever that might be, you have the option, you have the ability to say, all right, it's okay, I've got, I had the business machine running, I also have a money machine running, and I can run off of the money machine now, and I'm good, and, or I can go a different direction. And I think we need to, to be aware of, of that and have one eye on 
today and one eye on the future every day of our of our business. Yeah, and I totally agree. And I feel like when I started, a lot of us start because there's like a necessity to start a business, especially in my audience where I know for us, like we needed diapers and formula and to put food on the table. And then as the business grows, those necessities, that safety, security that you need, those basic necessities, that goes away. Those are taken care of. And now it's like, well, what do we do with this money? Like, what is the next step? And so if you're talking to someone who has a one-on-one service-based business, they're a service provider, that's their sole income. What would you, what business advice do you have for that person in terms of money, wealth, future planning, now planning? So one of the things that I try to get some some folks to do is to think in the in the sense of, one of the things to realize is that it doesn't take a lot to make a lot. People often think I got to make millions to have millions. If we start early enough, it doesn't take that long. So with that in mind, I just want to have them start the habit of saving and investing. And when I say start the habit, I'm notice I'm not saying I want you to put $100 away, $200 away, because I think what's more important is the habit versus the dollar amount. The dollar amount we can adjust because once you have the habit, the behaviors of what, what wealthy people or rich people will do, then it's easy to, uh, it's easier because now you're, you're, it's ingrained in you. But too often we delay the wealth mindset. We delay the wealth creation mindset because we say, well, I'll get to that. But you're, if we think about it, your greatest tool and greatest lever for wealth building is time. So even if it's $5, I want to, I want to start the behavior today. And we'll work on the $5 to the $10 to the 20 to the 100 to the to the 500 over time because it will be easy for you because you've already built the behavior. So one of the things that that I I'll do and it depends on on what your your fees are and everything but I'll give you a for instance I was speaking to a whole group of hairstylists and I told them what all they need to do is this take your first service of the week the first service of the week it could be a haircut a color whatever it is I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't do color. I don't do haircuts. Well, I do haircuts, but it, you know, you know, the thing is that they said, take that first service of the week and just put it away in an account, put it away in a high yield cash account. You're not going to make a ton on it. You'll make a half a percent probably, but I want it out of sight, out of mind. And then over time, you'll move it from the high yield cash account into investments, into some sort of investments. But then that one service a week, if we turn around and say, well, let's assume that it's $50. So you're putting away $50 a week into an account. That's $200 a month. Over time, over 30 years, that's over $350,000. Not that you put away, but because of the investing and the compounding and, and the growth, it turns into $350,000. And, and so when I say it doesn't take a lot to make a lot, we just got to get in the game. And if we, if we gamify it, if you will, where we turn around and say, let me take a percentage or, a, or that very first service of the week, and I'm just going to put a piece, of my, a piece of it away. And I'm going to put it away, like I said, out of sight, out of mind. Because if it's sitting in your operating account, there's a tendency, there's a, a pull to spend it. And so as soon as we take it away, then you never see it. And, and then over time, 
when we start to invest it and you allow it to grow, you'll sit back and look, you know, five years, 10 years down and go, oh my gosh, look at how much money I got. And so that's one of the first things I would do is, is we need to set up an easy way to develop the wealth creation behaviors early on. I love this, just creating a habit because I think that's sometimes the hardest part. And when you're talking about taking a percentage each month, I know a lot of my audience does the profit first and stuff like that. So is this coming from like, if they were saying, I'm going to take even 1% of my monthly or 2% or whatever it is, is this coming from like all the revenue? Is this like from their profit is where are we taking this money from? Or are you just saying like, this is like kind of like your profit. You pay yourself first, then you take this and put it away. So I do something a little different than profit first, but yeah. But one of the things that I uh, I look at is is I want to look at the the profits of the business. I need to manage the the expenses of the business to maximize the profits of the business, and then whatever those profits are, I want fifty percent of them to go towards my future over time. So what that means is that if at the end of the day, I end up with $50,000, $25,000 of it is going to go towards my future. $25,000 is going to go towards my living. So you're now in your future. Now, it it is a very aggressive wealth creation plan. It's a very conservative way to live but let's let's just look at what happens when you do this i want to front load my investments as early as possible and allow time to do the heavy lifting my son is 31 years old his wife is 28 they just had their very first child i have been he would say i would i've been brainwashing him i've been indoctrinating him into some of this thinking since he was 11 years old i've uh, he had a commission at 11 years old, and he was er- understanding how to allocate things. And he complained, saying, "Dad, this is conservative." I said, "I said you'll thank me. You'll thank me." 31 and 28, they have three homes already, and they have a multi-million-dollar net worth. And now they're looking at it and saying, "We're 31. If we just kind of stay on this track for another five, six years, the machine will take care of itself." I said, "Exactly. You're all taken care of." You're done. You know, we just got to manage it right, and we don't have to take an undue risk. We don't have to have the pressure or the uh, or the stress. And so, and it doesn't matter whether you're 31 and 28, like they are, or 41 and 38, or 51. They have a longer runway, so they have a bigger lever in time. And if you have a shorter runway, we want to be more aggressive on the investing and savings. But the the point is that it's that consistent step by step process that actually builds wealth. And keeps wealth because there's a different mindset to build the wealth than there is to keep the wealth. And too often, we don't have the keep the wealth mindset. This is why you have lottery winners and people like that that will go broke after they get they inherit money or they win money because they didn't develop the skills. They didn't develop the mindset to navigate that once they have it. Oh, this is good. Okay. So I, I want to dig deeper on that. But first, I want to go back. Can you just explain in like fifth grade English what a high yield account is? Yeah, absolutely. So typically, we put money into a savings account. And most savings accounts these days are getting less than one tenth of 1%. I mean, it's just, it's nothing. And at one point, some of these 
banks and online brokers were giving what they called high yield cash accounts. So instead of getting the the fractional interest that you're going to get on a savings account, they they were at one point giving you like two and a half percent, which is not great, but it's certainly better than one you know one tenth of one percent. And so they called them high yield cash accounts. And I still use them because it's more than a savings account. But there's three rules about a high yield cash account is that it must be 100% fully liquid. In other words, as soon as you need the money, you can write a check, draw it down, access it and get to it. It's not like a putting it in a CD and locking it up for six months or a year or two years where in order to get to it, you're going to pay a penalty or you have to wait. So it has to be fully liquid. Second, it must not have any fees. These banks are making their money on using your money anyways, and they shouldn't be charging you fees on top of it. So there should be no fees on top of it. You're putting the money in. They're going to pay you some level of of, uh, uh, interest on it. You're not paying them any fees. And then the third, because this is also where I park my peace of mind money for any emergencies and everything, so I don't want to take risk by putting it in the stock market and having it go up and down, is it must be insured. So most banks and even credit unions will have some sort of deposit insurance, federal insurance. So the purpose behind it is one that I have liquid funds accessible at all the time that doesn't cost me money, that makes me a little bit, and it's insured. So it's safe. And in order to find those, just so, so that so they know, you can find them all over the place. Mine is that right now, mine is at the credit union, is my credit union has a, a good yield. But you can go to bankrate.com. And at bankrate.com, they'll rank the uh, the high yield cash accounts like Ally Bank and 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 different ones. You know, Goldman Sachs has one. And you can see what the rates are and you can see what the terms are. There is a thing to be careful about because you will get some some of them that'll say we're going to give you seven percent, and they it's a teaser rate, and they'll give you seven percent on the first like five thousand dollars, and then after that it it tanks, or there's some lock in period. So when you see a teaser rate like that, just be aware, look at the terms, and make sure that you're not locked in, or there's a there's not a fee, and what it normalizes that in in doing that. Is that what you were looking for? Yeah, I think that's great because this is such an actionable thing. If we start taking a percentage of what we're doing each month, create the habit and put it in there and then have a, even if we start with a high yield yeah. cash account, like for emergencies, I think this would create that safety and security a lot of people are looking for that they're not doing. Yeah. And, and what I would do to make the habit easy is set it up on an automatic uh, transfer. So, so every month or every week, your bank automatically transfers it to it without you. We need to create, we need to eliminate the friction in our investing and saving decisions. And if I have to write a check, if I have to make a transfer, I have to make a call, there's friction in doing that. The reason that they gave us credit cards, well, it wasn't the original reason they gave us credit cards, but it is what it does, is that when you get a credit card, they're removing the friction from your buying decision. You think about how many times you just go to Amazon and go, click, buy, and there's no friction there. And so you tend to buy more 
easier, more often. And if we had the same lack of friction in our investing and savings, we would do more. So I kind of work with my clients that I want more friction in the buying decisions. I want less friction in the investing decisions. I want you to think twice about it. I, I tell them not to store any of their credit card numbers in, in, in Amazon or any of those accounts. So they literally have, unless you remember your credit card numbers like me, I'm, I'm nutty that way, but they have to go and get their credit card and input it. And it causes you to think twice about making the buying decision and you go, hmm, do I really need this? Or put it in the cart and wait 24 hours. Yeah. I love that. This is such actionable tips. And it's so funny. You talk about like the compound effect and everything with investment. And I remember us talking, I was like, I'm just 30. Like, I don't need to worry about 401ks and all that. But then no matter how you feel about Dave Ramsey, I saw his Instagram post last night and it was like the average car payment of a person is $543 or whatever. And we're that's like, I looked at my husband, I was like, that's our car payment. And he said like, that's so dumb because if you were to invest this, this would be millions at retirement. And I think it's just extreme, I think, but it's, I love how you said it's about creating the lifestyle you want, like living the life you want now, but also planning for the future. So it's not like we have to sacrifice the now for the later. Well, I, because Dave will tell you to leave, live on beans and rice. Yeah. Okay? I don't agree with that diet, uh, you know, but, but I think if we're in financial straits, we need to be, we need to get real with it. But at the same time, look, I don't, I live a good life. So I'm not sitting there saying, you know, cut, I'm not cutting coupons every every weekend. My dad used to do that every Saturday. He would and he would draw his he would map his route out, you know, and and everything. But uh, and I'm not belittling it at, at all. I just I just don't because I, I value my time more in doing that. But I think that we the the more important thing, and I know that he says this, and we can do the math on the five hundred dollars. But what I think is more important is not the $500, but when you make the decision to spend the $500 on a car payment or whatever the payment is, that you're doing it consciously, intentionally, and completely aware of the overall cost to your future. And if you do that, because I'll never tell, not usually ever tell anyone, don't buy that. I just want them to be aware. And if you understand that Gosh, do I really want that car? Because if I took that $500 and put it away, it could be millions to me. Yeah. Am I really buying this car because I just want to look good for the neighbors? Well, forget it. I'm done. You know, and you just make the conscious decision. And whatever that decision is, as long as you're aware of it, I'm good. Okay. So now I want to go back and talk about you talked about that there's keys to wealth creation mindset. And I would love to talk about like what are some of these habits or just little tactical things that we can start doing now that you see people not doing? Yeah. So the first thing is because so I got into this because I was a CPA. I thought, I'm just going to talk tactics. I'm going to talk strategy and everything and forget this whole money mindset stuff, you know. And I realized I can't separate the two. Uh, the more and more I started working with clients and talking to people, the mind stuff, stuff stuffs up the mind. I mean, it really does. So we need to understand some things first. And, and that is, we all have stories. And those stories, the stories we tell ourselves, it's the life that we're going to live with ourselves. And most of our money habits are caught, not taught. They're not 
we don't talk about it. We don't want to talk about money. We're not supposed to talk about money. It's inappropriate. So what ends up happening is we observe what's going on. We see our parents, we see uh, media, and we observe some conversation around money or something happens with money. We then interpret it. And that interpretation becomes our money identity. And now we live to that identity. And so one of the things we need to be aware of and be willing to dig into is what is our money identity? What what is our thinking around it? If we are sitting back saying, I want to make a million dollars, oh, but but you know, wanting to be wealthy is kind of greedy, it's kind of shady, those are in conflict with each other. And we need to fix that. So assuming that we start to dig into the stories and resolve those stories and realize that that is the the interpretations that are causing us the the problem versus the facts. Let's look at the facts. You know, then then we can separate that. Then then here's here's the biggest habit that most wealthy people have, and that is this: we come to this, and this kind of goes back to what we started with. Most people are raised in a situation where they make money. They go spend the money to pay for their bills, their expenses, the, and everything. And then they look at what's left over and they decide, okay, that's what I'm going to invest. And so what you're doing is investing as a byproduct, as the last thing in priority of how you're, you're financially living. What wealthy people do is they flip it. They make investing the priority. They make savings the priority. And so they make money. And it's similar. It's almost similar to the way, you know, Profit First is trying to do things. But you're, you're sitting back saying, I'm going to make money. I'm going to invest first. And then I'm going to have this money left over. And that money that's left over is what I'm going to live my life on. Now, the beautiful thing about entrepreneurs is that, you know, you have the ability to affect both sides of the equation. Most people, when we're trying to build wealth, and maybe they're just wage earners, they have a job, they can only affect, directly affect their expense structure, but you can only shrink down so much to try and get wealthy. It doesn't work. In order to make more money, if they're a wage earner, they can ask for a raise, or they got to put a side gig in place, or they got to do something else to get more money in. But as an entrepreneur, you actually have the ability to say, I'm going to put more campaigns out. I'm going to put more offers out. I'm going to create more income and give me a path to more income. And so now I can leverage the income up and say, okay, now I can still invest. And now I get the lifestyle. So I can adjust how I'm doing things to get to that lifestyle, but we don't, we don't flip it. And most, the biggest habit that the wealthy have is that they make investing the priority over lifestyle. And the other thing is that wealth is a, um, I think it's a quiet pursuit. It's not the people parading their Lambos and their, their, their jet planes and all of that stuff. It, it, you know, there's a lot of people. I live in, in, a, in an area in, in Laguna Beach. We call it that we've got people here that are billionaires in board shorts. You would never know they have a dime. And that's the way most it's not what we see as wealthy, but it's the way most rich people live is they just, they don't, they're not, they're not parading it. And so it's this quiet pursuit of financial independence and freedom. I love that. And I think it breaks down a lot of the stereotypes around 
people with money, with wealth, because we only see the loud ones yeah, and what they perceive as wealth, but the billionaires and board charts, we're not seeing them. And so I think that breaks down a lot. So you've been using the word investment a lot. And I think that there's some ideas around investment. And I just want to know what does investment mean and look like to you? So are we just talking stock markets? Are we like, what is, is this paying for ads? Like what is an investment? So let's talk inside the business, outside the business. Okay. Inside the business, investing is anything to me that that actually gives you a return on the investment. In other words, it increases your revenues, your profits, or your time. Too often, we don't think about the time. So investing in Facebook ads or some sort of ads that are converting properly, it's an investment. Bringing a machine on that is going to give me more scale or give me more time back is an investment. It, bringing a team member on that takes things off my plate so I can do the more higher value tasks is an investment. And so those things to me are investments inside the business because they're increasing revenues, increasing cash flows, and increasing profitability. So you have the ability to then, remember I said we do the business machine on one side, and we use the business machine to create the money machine. The freedom comes from our money machine. And so we're taking that slice from the business to make investments outside the business. And those investments outside of the business can be a whole gamut of things. I don't believe in something called, a lot of people will say we want passive income. There's no such thing as passive income. Your relationship with money is just that. It's a relationship. And just like a marriage or an intimate relationship, if I became passive about the relationship, that relationship is going to wither and die. And so I never want to be passive about my money or about my income. I want to be leveraged in the sense that I have time back where it doesn't take right now, if you're doing one-on-one, it's one input of your effort for one output of, your, of, of income. But if I'm able to leverage it where I go one input of effort and I get 10 outputs of income, that's leveraged income. It's not passive, it's leveraged. And that's what, what I want to create. And there's, there's basically five categories of income that we can, we can work from. And the first is where most of us start out. We're solopreneurs, we're, we're you know, employees. It's our effort in, effort out. It's a one-on-one relationship. So that's, that's uh, what we call active income. Then there's business income. And so each step, we get a little more leveraged, a little more time back. Then there's, there's business income. And the business income is when we all of a sudden start to hire people and it's no longer just one-on-one relationship. It's one-on-many, it's scaling, and it's not as dependent on you for the revenue generating, but it's still dependent on you. And most people will, will vacillate in those two categories. What we need to do is look at the top three. The next stage of leverage is asset-based income. So real estate, you know, rental properties, commercial properties, Airbnbs, um, where we still have an effort to buy it and possibly to manage it, but it's not day-to-day. Uh, if it is, get rid of the tenant. <laughs> so, um, and so assets, equipment that you can rent, those kinds of things. So that so you're buying an asset that's going to generate cash flow. That's level three. Level four is residual income. These are things like 
like my book. Okay. Every time it sells, I get paid. I did the effort once and now I get paid. You can white label your programs. You can license your programs. You can create a certification where you're getting paid annually for, for the rights to use it. That's residual income that leverages you out of it a little more. And then the top level five is portfolio income. That's what we typically, when we talk about investments, people think about stocks, bonds, ETFs, index funds, you know, annuities, all of those things. And so the next natural question is then, well, which one do we go into? And the answer is it depends on your lifestyle. And I'll give you an example. I have some real estate holdings, but not a ton of real estate holdings. And the reason I don't have a ton of real estate holdings, direct real estate holdings, is that I don't want the call at night going, hey, the toilet's clogged. I'll get a plunger. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, you know, so I just don't want to play that game. So the way I invested in real estate was through trust deeds. I was loaning against real estate. I was in real estate investment trusts and other investments that I still was in real estate, but I wasn't involved in the management and the day-to-day and being a landlord and having to evict and do all of that. Whereas a friend of our, you know, uh, our friend James, we had this conversation. I worked with him and he, he loves real estate. So he went out and bought four properties in eight months and created an Airbnb business that's going to generate forty dollars to $50,000 a month for him. Now, there's effort to buy them. There's effort to set them up. There's effort to do it. He's got a management gal in there that's, that's managing it. They've got the ads run and they're, they're occupied. It's booked. They're booked now through basically 2022. It's leveraged income. He loves it. It fit in his lifestyle. It didn't fit in my lifestyle. So my, my investing is in the residuals and, and the portfolio. So which one do you go to? I think it's dependent upon what fits in your lifestyle. And, and when you do that, you choose to dig in. And we never invest in anything we don't understand. So if you sit back and say, I want to understand the Airbnb business, just like James did, you dig in, you start reading, you start learning, you start understanding. If it's stocks, if it's you know, options, cryptos, whatever, you want to dig in. And, and some of those are more risky than others. But those are the different kinds of income you can go to to build your money machine. And we, the mix of it is dependent upon what your lifestyle is like. If you love real estate, you can spend a lot more in real estate. Uh, if you don't, there's other ways to do it. I love that. And then when you're talking about level one, so that's where most of my audience is, they're solopreneurs. Maybe they have some stocks, investments from previous employers, stuff like that. Um, I know my next step was, you know, having a leverage program, taking it not so much. And now we're looking at like, what does the next step look like for us? Is it real estate? I love real estate. Is it stocks? Like, and going through that. So, and I would say for most of us, and what you probably tell people is that just take it one step at a time. Like you don't need to conquer all five stages in the next even 12 months. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in fact, just have an eye on it at first to be aware of it is, is important. And then as time goes on, you say, you can say, you know, I think I want to get into, in, into a piece of real estate or something. Great. Now you're focused on, on that. We want to make sure that your business is running on all cylinders. So we want to make sure that that's consistent and that it's, it's doing well. And we can increase that habit of, of transferring and investing in savings. And then you can decide where does that go? Do I want it to go into stocks and bonds and 
in the stock market or do I want it to be in real estate or other investments? Do I want to leverage my business more by creating residual income streams? You know, those kinds of things. And you choose a path. What we can't do is choose multiple paths at the same time. We can do it. It's just we can't typically do it effectively. And so I would choose you right now. You chose the path of a business. Let's now of, of an active income stream. You've got the active income stream. It's working. It's 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 moving forward. Now we can look at all right. I want to add another income stream into it. What's the best one? What's the the one that will fit my lifestyle? What's the one that's the easiest to to get into for me? And what's the one that I have the skill sets or the the or the desire to develop the skill sets in? And then you start to move to that. And then you'll layer into the next one. I mean, when I first started investing, it was pretty well just in the stock market. And then because of the stock market, I needed to diversify more. So I got into oil and gas deals. I got into leasing deals. I got into all these other things, but I didn't do it all at, at first because I, I, one, it was too much to understand. So we just start in little slivers and keep adding on. And I love that this conversation is also just putting like little nuggets in your brain. Like maybe this isn't something for you right now, but maybe it just put a little nugget. Like our conversation two years ago, put a nugget, we paid off the student loans. Like it takes time. And I think just having this conversation is really important. And one thing you talked about is how, you know, we have all this baggage usually from our childhood of what money is, what it isn't, what it means about us. And I was having a conversation with Stu and we were talking about a book he's reading. And it said that kids who their families are open about money and talk about it openly over time. Like they studied these kids through their whole life. They're more financially secure as adults than families who had this, like, we don't talk about money mentality. And this is something we started Riley as a three-year-old. She has Dave Ramsey's books and she reads about like what savings is, how to be out of integrity with money, how, like where it comes from, how we spend it and creating those money conversations now at such an early age is hopefully setting her up as an adult to be more open about money and this not being a taboo topic that we don't talk about. So good. So good. Because I did a lot of interviews of, of entrepreneurs and, and wealthy people and people just starting out and it didn't matter. It was really surprising. It didn't matter whether they had a hundred dollars, a hundred thousand, a million, a hundred million. It didn't matter the level. I even, even a billionaire that uh, that I talked to, all of them, without question, all of them had some level of shame, guilt, and embarrassment. Some had shame and guilt because they had money. Some had shame and guilt because they didn't. Some had shame and guilt because they had it, and they lost it, and they had to recreate it. But but nonetheless, there was this emotional connection. To money, and if we're not aware of it, it becomes this insidious thing in our in our life. But money isn't the devil. Money's a tool. It's it's like the hammer that can be used to tear down the cathedral or to build the cathedral. How do we use it? And it's usually the person that's that's wielding the tool that makes it positive or negative. I love that. And one, and I always say, I heard this and it's just always stuck with me. I have no idea who the first person to say it was, but money doesn't change you. It amplifies you. So if you're already a good person, like the more money you have, the more you can give back. I know that for us, like before having this business, I would have loved to give back and we just didn't have it. And now, and we 
gave back in other ways besides financial, but now we're able to give more than I could ever imagine being able to give more than I used to make in a year. And so it just amplifies the person you already are. And if you're worried about money changing you, you're like, you're going to be the one who gets it amplified and uses it for good. So I think this conversation, and I wouldn't even encourage you to have, if you're listening, have a partner, a spouse, whoever's part of money decisions with you, listen to this episode. One thing I realized we were just out in Sedona and I'm so surrounded about money mindset and changing and working on it because we're in this world. But my husband, even though he gets like part of this, like, because it's coming for me, he's not an immersed in it as I am. And just, there was this whole ordeal with the rental car and like, because of shortage of staff, we were going to have to wait five hours to pick up our rental car five hours. And I was like, Oh no, we're not. And so I was like, we'll just, and there was no refund. Like we couldn't get a refund on the car. And I was like, our time and these moments that we're about to create are so much more important than $400. And we went and got a different, like went to a different one. I just paid for it, chalked it up as a loss. And that was so new for him because he was like, wait, we just like waste it. And it was in that moment that I realized like, oh my gosh, I need to do a better job as a wife to like immerse him in the same as us. Because to me, it was like, oh my gosh, like we can make more money. Like this is not a big deal. Like let's move on. Let's have our time because we only get the moments we have now money comes and goes, but our time is, you know, it's here. It's gone. And so how can we make as many memories now? And it just put a reminder, like, we need to immerse the loved ones that are in our life that also make buying decisions with us in all of this that we're getting and filling our cups with. So I think this would be a great episode for you to share with your spouses, your loved ones. Follow Mel on Instagram. He shares some great stuff. You know, you know, the first thing that I tell everyone to do when I give them like the steps is to have to have a sit-down conversation with their intimate partner, their spouse, their committed relationship. We don't need to be on the same line, but we need to be on the same page. Yeah. And if we're not on the same page, there can be conflict there. And it's so much more fruitful to have those real conversations. So it's cool that you had that realization. Yeah. Well, tell us, well, hold on. Before we wrap this up, I think this has been so informational. I do want to do some rapid fire and Steph yeah. probably sent you over the questions, but I'm going to kind of go off the cuff because I have some, but it's just the first thing that comes to mind. doesn't yeah. have to be the first word, just the first thing. So are you ready, Mel? I am. Let's do okay. it. Okay. So what does success mean to you? Gosh, for me, it's really about living true to my values, sharing life with the people that are near and dear to me that, that I love. And knowing, you know, I have a saying that I say, I want to live a life that outlives me. That's beautiful. When you talk about your values, we talk about values a lot. So what are your top three values? Gosh, I can't put puppy at the top, right? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what to do. It, it would have to be family, um, fun, and integrity. I love it. I love it. Okay. So what quickly, what is your opinion of Bitcoin? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you like to gamble, um, here's my thing. It's a highly volatile thing. The blockchain underneath Bitcoin is here to stay. And, And that is something that is 
is something that we're going to need to deal with. Bitcoin itself, when you watch Bitcoin go from from 60,000 down to 30,000 up to 50,000 back down, if you like roller coaster rides, great. Do I have Bitcoin right now? Totally transparent? No, I don't. Will I buy Bitcoin? I've have I had it? Yes. But I'll take a narrow slice of my portfolio to put into it because for a couple of reasons. One, I just turned 60. So a market downturn or volatility on a major part of my portfolio, I don't want to deal with. My son's 31. He's got a plenty of Bitcoin, but he's got a longer runway. And so it changes that. But I think that Bitcoin, it'll be interesting to see how that how this whole thing plays out. Uh, right now, it's a challenging currency to use because of the reporting requirements, the tax requirements, and just the way it works. It's a little cumbersome. We get over that hurdle and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It's funny. It's been on my mind because Tom Brady, did you see the whole thing where the guy caught his six, he got the 600th football. And then like one of the things was Tom Brady gave him like one of his Bitcoins. And I looked it up and I was like, $62,000. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So I was like, I would have taken the Bitcoin over like a game of golf with Brady any day. So I was on a call. It's kind of funny. Uh, It's sad. Actually, I was on a call with a guy who I was, uh, it was a group call and he made a comment about years ago, someone gave him a gift because someone asked the question, do you have any Bitcoin? And he, he was like, yeah, I have one coin. Someone gave it to me years ago when it was worth $100. I didn't take it seriously. I don't know my login. I don't know how to get to it. I have no idea. So he says, he says but I do have one. <laughs> Oh, that's so crazy. Okay. And last question. What is your favorite business book? Oh my God. Taking my book out of it? The Entrepreneur's Solution? It can be your book. Um, If I had a book, it would totally be my book. Yeah. I mean, my book, The Entrepreneur's Solution, because it's my story, is certainly uh, at the top. There it is. No one can see it, but I'm holding up his book, y'all. I think the other book that I love, because I think this is what drives everything we do, even our wealth, is Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Mm, yeah. That's because until we answer that question, we don't know what our finish line looks like. We don't know when we get there. We don't, and we, we run a race. I made, I made this mistake. We're running a race that we never know when the race is finished or that we're accomplishing it. And so I think Start With Why would be the other one. I love it. Thank you so much, Mel. And where can my audience just reach out, connect, learn more about you? And we'll make sure to link it all up in the show notes too. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm on Instagram, Mel Abraham nine. So I don't know who the other eight are. We can hunt them down. Um, And I also have a uh, stuff on my website. If you go to melabraham.com, I've got a seven day money plan. It's a free money plan challenge that they can go through that walks through everything from debt and all that stuff uh, that they can go to the moneyplanworkshop.com and, and they'll just go through that if they want. And I have my show, the affluent entrepreneur show. And so if, and I answer questions, I'll pick up questions and I'll do a Q and a show where I'm answering financial questions and business questions for people. So that's probably the easiest places. uh, And I love hearing from people. So easiest places to get in touch with me. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mel. Thank you, Brandy. Y'all, 
How dang good was that? Mel brought so much amazing, actionable tips for us. One, how we can create just small daily, weekly, monthly habits around saving for our future, how to use a high yield cash account so you can find best practices for that. He laid that out for us and how you can use bankrate.com to find more resources on that. We also talked about opening this up, this conversation to family members, loved ones, so we can all create a better understanding of money and how how our business is now is helping us plan for the future and how our business, once it's running here, how can we take it to the next level, to a leverage product? Then how can we create more residual income or invest in stocks or in real estate and how all of this doesn't have to happen overnight. It's a process. It's something to think about. It's something to plan for. And how can we start creating wealth now instead of waiting till it's too late. And I love this conversation. I wanna have more conversations around this. And if you're ready to take your one-on-one services to the next level, to where we're getting you out of the one-on-one solely, but also creating a leveraged product, I invite you to head to my free training on how to create a second revenue stream in your service-based business. If you go to betatobiggie.com, you can watch that training and learn more information about how you can apply to work with us in our Beta to Biggie training. And y'all, I'm super excited for you to start creating wealth. Make sure you reach out to Mel and tell him what your biggest takeaways were, what you got from that. And we'll link all his information in the show notes so you have that. And we're switching up our outro a little bit. And I have always said, go out and serve your clients, scale your business and soar into the six-figure year you deserve. And we're going to change that up. So from now on, it's go out, serve your clients, scale your business, and soar into the successful business you desire. Thanks again for tuning in to the Serve, Scale, Soar podcast with your host, Brandy. If you loved our podcast, please be sure to leave a comment or review and be sure to tune in next time.